Do you know what time it is? It's Supernatural Story Time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. Dark House Stories, Volume 1, Story Number 1. Mamie Thurman may not be nationally renowned, but her name is recognized in around the southern part of West Virginia and Kentucky. Who was Mamie? Mamie was a young woman living in the city of Logan in the 1930s. On June 22, 1932, her slain body was found and recovered on 22 Mountain near Holden. Holden is some 5 to 10 miles from Logan. According to medical authorities at the time, her death resulted instantly from a gunshot wound before her throat was cut from ear to ear. Found alongside the body was one shoe and her purse, which contained eight to ten dollars. Two diamond rings and a wristwatch were still on her body, thus ruling out robbery as the motive for her death. The arrest and eventual conviction of a handyman brought about a lot of questions in Logan. The investigation involved several prominent people in Logan at the time. The trial resulted in standing room only, with many driving to the courthouse and bringing chairs and basket lunches. The funeral service drew tremendous interest and was one of the most unusual services ever held in the county. There were a total of 550 women and 30 men in attendance at the funeral. After nearly 50 years, Thurman's half-brother returned to Logan for the purpose of placing a stone to properly mark her gravesite. He ran into trouble locating her grave. Records at the funeral home stated she was buried in Bradshersville, Kentucky. A visit to that town proved wrong. Upon returning to Logan, a copy of the death certificate in the county courthouse states she was placed in the Logan Memorial Park at McConnell. A visit to that cemetery also failed to show a gravesite. Her brother failed to locate her grave. The questions surrounding the mystery of her murder have followed her to her grave. After extensive searching, her brother returned home, still unable to finally let his sister rest in peace. Local legend has thrived with Mamie's story. Some say she still stalks Holden 22 Mountain and tales and stories of her ghostly appearances cause one to wonder if she still cries out for justice. Since her death, rumors have survived and some feel her ghost will continue to walk up and down the mountainside until someone finally tells the truth about her death. Believe it or not. Next story. One night, my uncle wanted me and a friend of mine to go to the store for him. We were on our way back home, coming up the hollow where we lived, when I saw a bright light. I thought it was a car coming the other way. The light got brighter the closer we got to it. Suddenly, I saw something from the corner of my eye that started across the road in front of the truck. I slammed on the brakes, thinking that it was a kid. But when it got right in front of the truck, I saw it was a man with a big black hat, like Abraham Lincoln's stovepipe hat and a long black trench coat. He looked like he was in about his 40s. My friend was looking away at the time and didn't see him. He asked me why I hit the brakes, and I asked him if he didn't see that man step in front of the truck. All he said was that he glanced at something like a shadow. I told him that a man just walked out in front of us and then just disappeared. A couple of days passed, and I was sitting on my grandfather's porch telling him about what had happened. He asked me what the man looked like and I told him. My grandfather told me there used to be a man who lived there and dressed just like that. The man loved his black trench coat and black hat and he wore them all the time. 
My grandfather went on saying that he was an evil man, that he tied his wife and child in their beds and burned them alive. The neighbors heard him screaming but were too afraid of the man to go help. Later that day, after he had killed his wife and child, the man took his own life down at the oak tree by the road where I saw him. I'm not the only one who has seen this. My father said that when he was young, he and a friend of his would walk up that road at night and they would see him too. He said the man would chase them back down the road. Every word of this is true. I was not the kind of person who believed in ghosts until that night. I know what I saw and it still haunts me till this day. Next story. I was born in Marietta, Ohio in 1984 and two years later, my family decided to move to my father's hometown of Parkersburg, West Virginia. We got a nice house there. It was down near the Blennerhassett Hotel. The first day we moved in, we noticed some weird things. The home was said to have been the original location of the Kim's funeral home, which is now across the street from where that home used to be. Plus, all the bedrooms had numbers on them, as if it were a motel of some sort. There were fireplaces in every room, just a beautiful home to grow up in. The first day we came there, my mother put her two prized life-size-like dolls in an old rocking chair in the back bedroom that faced the backyard. That room was to be used as storage. The next day, when she came back, the dolls were still in their place, but there were footprints on the marble in front of the fireplace. My mother was stunned, so she picked up one of the dolls and put its foot in the print to see if it matched and to her surprise it matched perfectly. That was just the beginning of the weird things to come. The owner of the home told us to never unlock the attic door. We were never to enter that room. Storage was running short. My mother decided to have my father break the lock off so we could use the attic. We thought it would be no big deal. You could see from the outside of the home that the attic window was broken so my mother decided to replace the glass. She replaced it and the next morning I woke up screaming. My mother asked me what was wrong and I told her that Tinda was dead and that her mother was a witch and her father only had one leg and they killed her. I was only two years old so you can imagine how shocked my mother was to hear this. I told her to take me to the attic and I would show her. So she carried me to the attic and I went over to the window that we had replaced and she was shocked because it had been broken out. But I told her that Tinda was a little girl whose mother was a witch and her father was a bitter man with only one leg. They used to lock her in the attic and punish her and one day they pushed her out of the window. My mother was terrified but brushed it off to my wild growing imagination. As the days went by things began to happen even more frequently. My mother had seven children, five girls and two boys. I was the youngest girl but I had a little brother. Well, my older brother Chad kept seeing her, as did my sister Misty and my sister Laura. But everyone kept mistaking her for me. Everyone said she looked just like me. While the years went on and soon I turned four, we kept seeing sightings of Tinda and I often played with her. The funny thing is, I can never remember seeing her. I always prayed to God, don't let me see her, don't let me see her. And I remember her telling me that she didn't want to scare me so she always kept herself hidden. As long as I couldn't see her, I was happy. Some time passed and Easter was right around the corner. My mother and I had gone to the Salvation Army located right near our house, which still stands there today. We were so poor that it was a treat 
to get to go to that thrift store. We went into the store and found this beautiful dress and matching hat for me to wear on Easter Sunday. I was so proud of it that when I got home, I went straight to my room to hang it up above my bed. That night, when I went to sleep, I dreamed of how much fun I would have wearing the dress in the week to come when Easter would get there. Easter was my favorite holiday, and I loved dressing up for it. The next morning, when I woke up, I looked up at the dress and screamed. It was covered in blood. I ran downstairs and told my mother, and she thought I had done it, but I swore to her that I didn't. She tried washing it and washing it, but it wouldn't come out. And one night, my brother Chad was cleaning his room while I was downstairs helping mom bake a cake like I usually did. According to Chad, who he thought was me, came to his room, stood in the doorway and just stood there. And he said, April, you want to help me clean my room? He turned his head and then looked back and I wasn't there. He thought to himself, if you didn't want to help me, all you have to say is no. He couldn't find me in my bedroom, so he went downstairs to find me in the kitchen with mom. He looked at me and said, April, how did you change your clothes so quickly? And mom said, Chad, she's been here all night. She hasn't changed her clothes. See, the April that he thought he had seen had a long white dress on while I had my pink nightgown on. He then realized it was Tinda. Tinda continued to play tricks like this on everyone in my family, even my own mother. My mom was washing dishes late one night and she heard me crying in the hall. She walked out there to give me a hug and she walked right through me. Yet again, it was Tinda. Every night as I was lying in bed trying to fall asleep, I would hear basketballs bouncing in the attic or the toilet flush. This would go on all night, which made me an insomniac at a very young age. Still to this day, I have trouble sleeping. My father was a terrible man who thought teaching a good lesson was beating or scaring his children. He once locked me in the attic. For some reason, I was terrified. Terrified of the thought of Tinda's mom and dad being up there with me. Only on a few occasions did I see figures of Tinda's mom and father. Once when I was just a baby, when we first moved into the house, my sister Bobby was babysitting me. And I remember like it was yesterday. I was in my crib in my mom's room, which was downstairs while she was watching TV in the living room, which is obviously the place where funerals were held when it was Kim's funeral home because of the lavish glass doors that slid closed. All of a sudden, I remember hearing a cackle. Yes, a cackle, like you could imagine a witch would do. My sister Bobby heard it too and ran in there as I had started screaming. The home was a beautiful place to grow up, but also a very scary place. After eight years living in that house, we moved to Reedy, West Virginia, a small town with a population of 140. It was a big change, but a big relief. From time to time, my mother would make trips back to Parkersburg to see who lived in the home. Once there was a family with children and all my mom asked if they had seen or heard anything and they said, it's funny you ask that. My son was just telling me today about the basketballs bouncing in the attic while he was trying to go to sleep. My mom smiled because she knew Tinda hadn't left. More years passed and people stopped moving into the house. It became very old. It was outdated and too small for a family who wanted fireplaces in every room. Without us knowing it, they started to tear down the house. One night, my mom had a dream that Tinda came to her crying and said, I have nowhere to live. I have nowhere to go. Mom asked her why and she just kept repeating, I have nowhere to live. I have nowhere to go. We were in the work of moving, so Mom said, you can live with us. We're moving to Ripley. 
She woke up sad and in tears. She decided to go to Parkersburg because she knew something was wrong. As she drove past our old house on 5th Street in Parkersburg, West Virginia, she saw that they were tearing it down to build a shelter for the homeless or abused children. Fast forward to 2003. The shelter's still there, but our home is gone. I believe Tinda lives with us now in Ripley, West Virginia. But every night as I go to sleep, I pray, please, God, don't let me see any ghosts. And she grants my wish and hides her identity. Next story. My family and I moved to Morgantown, West Virginia when my son was around nine months old. We lived in an apartment on the second floor of a house directly across from a very old, very large cemetery. It is a well-maintained cemetery and has many walkways. We love to walk around in it and look at the dates on the gravestones. Some of the gravestones date back to the 1700s, but most of them are from the 1900 on. Anyway, my son learned to walk at around 13 months and I loved to take him for a walk in the cemetery because the roads were level and it was safe. He used to stop to rest, sitting on gravestones. After a while, I began to notice a pattern to his rest stops. There were always ladies who died in their 70s or 80s. We jokingly referred to them as his grandmas and chalked it up to coincidence. One day, I was walking with him as usual and he wandered into the center of a cluster of stones. He began to pat one of the stones. The name on the stone was Goodhill. The other stones around it were also from the Goodhill family. By the way, I changed the names because I don't know if members of this family are still around. Let's just say it was a very distinctive name. After patting one of the stones, my son took off across the grass. He was very intent and walking faster than normal, so I let him go. On the other side of the cemetery, under a tree, he stopped by another gravestone. It was by itself, under the tree. The name on the stone was Goodhill the same name from the cluster of stones he stopped at earlier. I looked at every marker surrounding the stone. There were no others by the same name. It seemed that someone was trying to let my son know they were all alone. In the same cemetery, weeks later, we were walking again, and my son led me to another gravestone. I stood there laughing hysterically, and my husband asked me what was wrong. I pointed, and he too began to laugh. You see, my family and I love the poem by Dylan Thomas called a child's Christmas in Wales. We even have the movie. My son was not yet old enough at 14 months to know the movie well, but he led us to a stone mark, Prothero. Mrs. Prothero is a very colorful character from the story. Incidentally, there are no other stones anywhere in the cemetery with that name. It seems that yet again, my son has connections. One last story to creep you out. We moved away from the cemetery, so alas, this is the last one. My husband and I, our two children, and one of my husband's disabled clients were walking through the cemetery looking at the older graves and commenting on the vandalism towards the back. There are two above-ground crypts, coffin-sized in stone. One has a hole in the end. My husband jokingly knocked on one of the stones and said, Hello in there. We all ran yelling at him. I have no idea why we all ran either. I picked up my son and took off, leaving him laughing behind us. When I got to the top of the hill, I stopped feeling better. My husband was walking rapidly towards us with a strange but amused look on his face. On his left hand, the one he used to knock on the grave, were three long scratches. He said that they didn't hurt and that he didn't scrape his hand on anything. My hubby loves to joke, so I drilled him for the rest of the afternoon. He insisted that he wasn't lying. The next morning, the scratches were gone, a warning not to mess with their graves, whoever they are. Next story. 
Ben Creek, Mingo County, West Virginia, lies only a few short miles from the southwestern panhandle of the state of Virginia. The area is mountainous and rugged and not a far distance from the Hatfield and McCoy stomping ground. Further, this part of Mingo County is relatively isolated and one's closest neighbors can be several miles down the creek or up the mountain. The year was 1971 that my family and I, myself being the youngest of six siblings, moved to Mingo County, West Virginia from the Cleveland, Ohio area. Believe me, to describe this change as a culture shock is minimizing the experience. The geography was different as well as the people and the lifestyle generally. The poverty was incomprehensible to my eight-year-old eyes. My parents, being from Mingo County area as children themselves, desired to move back to the place of their roots and to be geographically closer to their own families. We moved into a modest and dilapidated two-story house. The second story was actually a full unfinished attic on Ben Creek about a half mile up the creek from our nearest neighbor, my Uncle Walker. Being short on money, my father searched for the most economical house in the area. In no time, we found our house. The grass and weeds had grown up high, and with boards over the window, the house looked ramshackled and abandoned. We had to make do, though. After we moved in, we began to make the best of our new home. Being only eight years old and in the third grade, classmates began commenting to me that we had seen any ghosts in our house. My brother, 10 at the time, and I responded, no, we hadn't, and we usually left it off at that. I'm ashamed to admit it, but in all honesty, we thought these people were backwoods morons. At the same time, my three sisters in junior and senior high were also beginning to get quizzed by their classmates along a similar line of questioning. It seemed everyone on the creek knew something about our house except us unsuspecting city slickers. Shortly thereafter, everything changed. It was a warm late spring Sunday evening, shortly before dusk, just as the sunlight was just beginning to slip behind one of the mountains. It was still light outside, only slowly growing dimmer. My father and mother and one of my sisters had gone into Matawan, which was about 20 miles away to grocery shop, and to stop to visit relatives in that area of the county. I, along with my brother Tim, 10, sister Donna, 14, and sister Debbie, 16, were lounging around the living room and doing what kids do. Tim and I were playing some sort of board game on the floor while my sisters watched television and talked. Our dog, Mitten, was chained up to the front porch. Suddenly, Mitten began barking and growling absolutely hysterically. I had rarely heard Mitten sound so, at the same time, distressed and threatened. Initially, my brother Tim and I, being our family's little men, jumped up and ran toward the open front door thinking that either a bear or a human was going to come into the house. Just then, Tim and I leaned out of the front door with our sister Debbie right behind. Stretching our necks out the door to see what Mitten was barking at, stood a human figure standing at the corner of the house. The way he was standing, we could only see his front half. The backside was behind the corner of the house. We thought at first that it was a man trying to break in on us kids knowing my father was not home. But this was like no man we had ever seen. Still thinking it was a human man trying to get in, we yelled at him, it, not to come in because we had a gun and would use it. We really did have one and Debbie went to get it. Just as Debbie got back to the door and within full sight of Tim, Debbie, Mitten, and myself, this thing moved. As it moved, we knew immediately this thing certainly was not human. It was a solid black figure with no light reflection whatsoever coming off of it. It was like looking into a black hole. 
The shape was reminiscent of an old-style fisherman hat with a full-body slicker. I will never forget how it looked. As it moved away slowly from the house, it moved as one unit. That is to say, with no body motion at all. It was actually floating above the ground, about one foot, and had no feet. It did not make any sound as it floated down our gravel driveway and turned right as it reached the roadway. We were in shock and couldn't believe what we had witnessed. My father did not believe us at all and thought we were just making this up until my mother witnessed the very same figure coming up the driveway about one week later. As she sat at the front door one morning after a cooling rain, she said it looked like it had come out of the ground and proceeded towards the house. She thought that it was going to come on up the stairs and onto the porch, but it proceeded up past the corner of the house instead. And lastly, if my mother and we children did not make a believer out of my dad, he converted to one shortly thereafter. One night as we slept, we all awoke to all hell breaking loose in the attic. It sounded like somebody had broken in through a window and was smashing furniture. We had none up there. Smashing mirrors, we didn't have that either, and was stomping through glass for what seemed like hours. The activity woke us all and it sounded as though whoever was up there was about to come down the stairs. That's when my dad and eldest brother Terry, who was 18, thinking somebody had broken in and was vandalizing the attic, armed themselves and went up the stairs. The noises stopped just as my dad was opening the attic door. Nothing had been touched. Even the cobwebs were still on the windowsills. We still had to live in that hell house for the remaining part of the summer, though nothing quite so extraordinary occurred. That's my story, and I swear to its authenticity. I'm now a man in his 30s, and I occasionally get afraid of the dark and noises in the night make me break out in a cold sweat. I used to be angry. That's how could anything even a ghost psychologically scar such a young innocent child? I'm no longer angry, but I admit that I'm still traumatized by the experience. But at the end of the day, what could you do about it? Except move out and move on like we did during that summer. Next story. Our family has been located in this area for five or six generations, and it all started in an old house that's still standing, though abandoned, on a certain hill right in the middle of South Parkersburg. The old house was originally a church, and there are at least three graves somewhere on the property which are unmarked, the actual location which varies depending on whom you ask. But there's certainly three of them. The known graves are said to be a mother and infants. There have been many tales spun about that old house. Many years ago, there were no houses at the foot of the hill. The area was a swampy field. One night, when my grandfather was walking up the hill, coming home from the store, he saw a woman in white whose feet didn't touch the ground coming towards him from the field. He threw his pack at the apparition and ran. Later, he fell asleep in a dormer room in the house, which was never used, and he awoke to a ghostly face staring right into his face. Years later, the patriarch of the family, my great-grandfather, had been building a garage at the foot of the hill below the house, near where Grandpa saw the woman in white. He decided to give the unfinished structure and property to my grandfather and his new bride. The house was built from the structure, and it stands today occupied by my best friend's family. One night, Grandpa got up to go to the bathroom and suddenly yelled for his wife in fright. Pointing to the corner of the room, he asked her, Don't you see it? She didn't, but he saw a small coffin in the corner of the room. A short time later, his father died. 
Today, my friend's family have complained of various noises and happenings there. They hear the faint sounds of old-time radio shows coming from the living room. They hear pacing footsteps in the hall. They feel large and small entities settling on their bed. They have heard other unexplained knocks and bangs, and the chair in the living room has been seen walking by itself. Something is still present. They have even seen a man walk through the hall. Let's now return to my grandparents. They moved around several times before settling with their children at the foot of the hill across the street from the house Grandpa built. This is where my grandmother still lives today and where I grew up. There are ghost stories about this house too, but I'll come back to that. Now, I'll tell you a story that may explain volumes in this case. There's a story that indicates Grandpa's brother-in-law might have accidentally dug up one of the old caskets on the old homestead property and burned it. The tale says that when he was leveling a space for utility building behind the house, he dug up a crate and burned it, and a putrid odor filled the air on the hill. I've heard this from someone who says he was there and saw it. He died not long after the time when this was supposed to have happened. After his funeral, my aunt was babysitting the kids up there. His oldest son had been killed in a car wreck just before he died as well. The youngest daughter pointed to the staircase and said she saw the two of them coming down the stairs together. My aunt bolted for the door, sight and scene. Now that my grandparents' house, growing up I'd never sleep with all the lights out there. I saw things there on at least three occasions myself and heard plenty of noises. I even got pretty used to them. One night, Grandpa was going upstairs in the dark, and when he got to the top, he saw a little girl standing there. Many years later, a friend of mine, who'd never heard that story, was shocked when she saw a little girl standing in the upstairs hall. My uncle saw a glowing figure against the wall when he lived there. My aunt claimed she saw the eyes of a statue light up in the dark as well. However, for all this, there are long periods of time without occurrences here and at my friend's house. I think all this ties together. A woman in white, a little girl goes, just like those graves behind the old homestead. Toward the end of her life, my great aunt called here several times wanting someone to come up, but she was afraid to stay in the old homestead alone. All that generation is dead now. None claim the old homestead. Haunting at the foot of the hill still occurs from time to time. One would wonder if it was the ghost of the father and son coming down the stairs at the old homestead like the youngest daughter said. Maybe great-grandpa is the man listening to the old-time radio programs and pacing the floor in what used to be his garage. Maybe the little girl that's been seen there is the ghost of a child lost from its mother. If all that is true, you have to wonder how many of the elders of the family still walk in the old homestead in the border room at the foot of the hill. Next story. Located just south of the present site of Petersburg is a hollow where the ghost of a headless man walks, a lingering spirit born of tragedy that occurred here long ago. George Van Meter's small farm was located in Dorcas Hollow, just five miles from where Petersburg is now located. Van Meter was a carpenter who had come to America from Germany and had settled in Dorcas Hollow when there were only 15 other families in the entire county. The cabin that Van Meter constructed was isolated far away from any neighbors and it was too late when he learned that several other settlers had been killed in the valley by Huron Indians. On July 4th Van Meter was working in the fields near his cabin when his son David and the rest of the family was in the house preparing to travel to a nearby settlement 
to join in a celebration around this new day of independence. Van Meter and his son had just stopped to rest when a small band of Indians came running out of the forest. He told his son to run toward the cabin and take the family to the settlement. Van Meter planned to fight the Indians long enough for his family to make it to safety. That was the last time anyone ever saw him alive. David made it to the settlement with his family and he warned the men of the Huron. A group formed to go back and rescue Van Meter, but when they got to Dorcas Hollow, they were greeted with a terrible sight. The livestock had been butchered and the cabin had been burned to the ground. Only two stone chimneys remained where the house had once stood. Van Meter's body was found a few feet away from the cabin. His head was severed from his body, and although David and the men searched the entire area, it was never found. Finally, they gave up and returned to the settlement to prepare for an attack by the Huron raiding party. The Indians never showed up at the settlement, but Van Meter's head did. On the day after the raid, a cooking pot was found at the settlement. When it was opened, George Van Meter's head was staring up at them. The Indians had boiled his head and then left it at the settlement to find. For years after, no one would go near the Van Meter farm. It was said that the headless ghost of George Van Meter had been seen there walking about the remains of the farm as though searching for something, perhaps his missing head. Today, the two stone chimneys of the house can still be seen in Dorcas Hollow if you travel along Route 220 from Petersburg. Few still remember how they came to be there, but Dorcas Hollow is still a place that is best to be avoided. Next story. To start with, I've never believed in ghosts and still don't, but this story is still today unexplainable to me. It was July of 1992. I'd become a deputy sheriff in central West Virginia and from 1992 until 1995, when the state prison in Moundsville closed, I'd made a few prisoner transports to and from the prison. I always thought it was a creepy place, but aren't prisons supposed to be? In the spring of 2000, I was scheduled to have a training class at the Moundsville prison. Today, many law enforcement agencies use the prison for training but this was supposed to be the first training class there. I was a prevention resource officer in a local junior high school and the training dealt with school violence. I lived a few hours away, so I allowed myself plenty of time to get to the training class. I pulled up to the prison and the front door was open. I'd been there before and figured I would go in. I stepped inside the front entrance and yelled out, but no one answered. I knew someone was there somewhere because the doors were all open although there were no other cars parked in front. Not finding anyone, I proceeded to try to find where the class was going to be held. I looked around for several minutes, but I didn't find anyone, nor did I find a classroom. I was at one end of a hallway and saw a man dressed in a blue shirt and pants at the other end of the hallway go into an adjoining hallway. I yelled out to him, but he never acknowledged my presence. Figuring this was probably an employee or perhaps the instructor of the class, I followed in the direction he went. When I made my way to the other hallway in which he ducked into, I found that it led into an office, but nowhere else. There was no other doors in which the man could have gone. At this time, I heard voices from where I had just come from and turned and went back. I met up with two other guys who were taking the class and thought nothing else of the man who disappeared, except that I never saw anyone all day long dressed in blue. I left that evening after the class without really wondering or thinking about it. Later that same year, the television show Fear taped an episode at the prison 
and that intrigued the students at the school in which I was assigned. I taught a criminal justice class and the students wanted to take a trip to Wheeling and tour the prison while there. I arranged the trip and in January of 2001 we went to tour the prison. Before fear I had never heard of the prison being haunted. While in the tour the students were full of questions for the guide mostly on the subject of hauntings. I was very surprised when the guide told the story of a prisoner being sighted by the tower guards going into the prison on the north side but after investigating the prisoner was never found. The guide explained that this occurred often. Supposedly this prisoner was one of the ghosts at the prison. The guide then showed us where this sighting always occurred. Unbelievably at the same door and hallway where I saw the man in blue nearly a year earlier. I had to ask what was he wearing? The guide said that if the prisoner was in fact the ghost of the inmate they suspected it was, then they wore blue uniforms at the time. Since not convinced this was actually a ghost, it still puzzles me today. And that's as far as I'm going to take that because otherwise I would have to admit that I actually did see a ghost.